0: Hello and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host Ariel Basca, and today I speak with Ashley O'Shea, the director of Unapologetic, a film about Black millennial organizers who challenge a Chicago administration complicit in state violence against its Black residents i'm so delighted to welcome you to the show firstly because i think you made a stupendous documentary thank you really truly it's such a wonderful depiction of chicago i'm also actually from chicago so oh
1: wow nice
0: So for me to finally see representations on screen of the corruption of the CPD and or rather the Chicago Police Mm -hmm. Department for those who are uninitiated, who may be among my listeners. But it's really important, I think, that we have a lot of narratives out there that talk very explicitly about all of the issues that you lay bare in the documentary. And I was so happy to be able to discuss with you your work. I think it's such an incredible film because you lay bare so many specific things, like even just breaking down the various statistics, like 40% of Chicago's budget going to the CPD. Right. I really find it quite incredible in this film, how you were able to, through the stories of these two black women, Bella Baz and Janae Ebony Bonsu, like- going through and breaking down kind of their experiences, what led you to pick those two as your subjects?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would like to think a lot of it was just the universe bringing us all together. But initially I had reached out to Janae um, after I had, I. so I actually went to school in Evanston. I went to Northwestern for undergrad. And so um, I had left for a little bit and then I came back to Chicago um, uh, a few months after I graduated And it was around the time that uh, young black people were continuing to organize around the killing of 22 year old Rukia Boyd. In in their campaign, they were attending these monthly police board um, accountability hearings um, and asking that her killer, uh, Dante Servant, would be fired off of the Chicago police force. I I attended some of those meetings and I um, was not only captivated by the energy in the room and um, the voices that were being elevated, but that those that were being centered and who I was seeing on the bullhorns and in and, and leadership were young black women um, and friends that I felt like I could directly identify with as, a, as another black woman. I had never really seen that in my, in my formal education when talking about social movements, black social movements rather. So um, so I started to ideate around that time around like what this a project like this could look like told from this specific perspective. And Janae at the time was a leader in the Chicago chapter of Black Youth Project One Hundred, and so um, I reached out to her, and she was really she was down from the beginning. Um, I think initially I had the project was scaled way down, so at the time she of course didn't know it was going to be four and a half years of her life, Um, (laughs) but she had just also started her PhD program at UIC and. She was 24 at the time. So I just felt like there was a lot um, that was about to, you know, develop in her life. Um, And so as I was following her, um, shortly after I I met Bella after um, her performance at the Chicago police headquarters in front of Chicago police headquarters. Um, And this was at a time when I was moving towards expanding the film just because of everything that had happened that that fall with Laquan McDonald and with the police superintendent I just felt like this was a hallmark moment for the city that needed to be documented in something longer than a short film. I had been talking to other women leaders in the movement and that's when I came across Bella. Um, and you know, after, you know, experiencing the energy and amazingness of her, um, performing, I then found out, you know, all these other layers about her feet being from the West side and her family's long history in Chicago. Um, and so, uh, after, after that initial interview, I started to document more moments with her, you know, I think they just, they were the two that kept rising to the top. Um, and as we were cutting the story together, um, they really played off of each other well.
0: And, and I wondered how much interaction the two of them had behind
1: the yeah. scenes. Yeah, they had a lot. Um, it was always, it was funny. Cause whenever we would like show rough cuts, people always ask that question and we were like. They're often always like they're usually together in some form because there's so much coalition in Chicago that Mm -hmm. if one campaign is happening, it's never just like BYP or Let Us Breathe or Asada's Daughters. It's usually a coalition. But we would always like joke because we were like, literally, they will never like whenever I would come with the camera, they would not be in the same (laughs) room together. (laughs) um so you know we kind of had to let that one go and just like you know leave it up to us to explain afterwards that yes they did they did know each other even like Bella Janae actually suggested Bella as someone to follow um when I was asking about other other possible subjects so yes they um are familiar with each other and have both worked on multiple campaigns together
0: and and I felt like the way that you interweave their stories, it almost feels like they're in the same room together throughout the documentary as they're discussing yeah. a lot of these same ideas. I love how your film really centers on how Black queer women have been at the forefront of all of these social movements really throughout American history, advocating for social change and social progress. And I wondered how you feel about the story of this going forward, how other people are going to be interpreting either the history of black queer women and Mm -hmm. translating it into other different forms when it's not always black queer women who get to tell those stories.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, this is a, this is us planting the seed, right? I think at the time in Chicago, even this concept of centering, um, queer folks and trans folks and people that are further marginalized, even within the black community itself, that was like radical um, at the time where a lot of these organizations were insisting on it. Um, But even within the the five years that many of them have existed, I I think that there has been so, so much expansive conversation around who our leaders are and how we need to expand um, our thoughts beyond just thinking there should be one sole leader for for a social movement, especially something that as big as the movement for black lives that impacts black communities in a lot of different ways. Um, It's important to have representation, um, not only gender and sexuality wise, but, you know, class wise from different neighborhoods, um, different educational backgrounds. Um, And so I think like framing it in the way that it's like we need to expand this to be inclusive of all types of black people um, so that when we are fighting for these issues and talking about policy and and making decisions about how communities are going to be resourced, that we're not just focusing on one type of Black person, that it's necessary to get input from multiple identities um, so that if we are able and when we are able to achieve some of these goals, um, everybody is is benefiting from them and not just one sect of the Black community.
0: Yeah. It's so disturbing in some sense that as you're going through this story of so many black lives lost at the hands of police officers, there's still this general impression left of how many times the spotlight is stolen from the women who are authentically the ones who are speaking up Mm -hmm. by other figures who are perhaps vying for their own power in, in some sense in terms of the differential between how the stories of black men and black women are portrayed in the media as well, I thought it was very important that you raise that point that, or rather Bella raises that point that Sandra mm-hmm. Bland and Rekia Boyd never received as much attention mm-hmm. as the black men who have been getting down and murdered. Definitely. I just wondered for you, if you had a voice in those conversations personally, I mean, I know you're behind the camera but how do you respond to those problems that you see mm-hmm. in the community?
1: Well, I just made an 86 minute film.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know, I know. That's
1: no, I it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. You're totally fine. Um, I think for me, um, yeah, this, that was definitely a gap that I was seeing um, even before I started making this film. And, you know, I think, Sandra Bland was like the first kind of name that started to circulate nationwide um, with the Say Her Name campaign um, to elevate the different police violence cases that that were happening against black women and girls. I think the difficulty with it is that sometimes people think it's like one or the other that we're that if we're saying like, okay, we need to focus on black women killed by the police or black trans folks killed by the police, that now we're excluding black men when we've always fought for black men that has never been if you look at the history of you know with Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown um, and even going as far back as like Emmett Till like people have been always the mothers yeah like black women will always and have always made space to fight for justice but I think there's a misunderstanding or a thought that there's such a huge disparity between how many black men are killed by the police and versus black women or trans folks, you know, at the end of the film, there's like that screen that comes up that has all of the names of the, of black women or trans folks that have been killed by the police nationwide since we started filming. And as you saw, it was like a lot of names. Um, and so it's really just about um, pulling those names into the already existing conversation because, it goes back to my last point where it's just like, we have to think about the multiple identities that are, that exist within Blackness. Um, And also, you know, Black women aren't necessarily only experiencing um, police violence in the form of murder. They're also experiencing it in the form of sexual assault oftentimes that is going reported and not, not adjudicated. So I think it's really just trying to like, talk people back from like, okay, we're not saying that there's no, it's, it's the same with any other thing. When, when you try to tell men it's not about them, you know, they mm-hmm. think all of a sudden that you're saying it's only about us when really it's just like, we need to be included in this conversation. We are the ones usually taking care of your children or your homes um, or being your partners and also having to deal with the trauma of lots of black men that are part, that are people's partners being killed by police. So I think it's back to that just same inclusive conversation thinking about, Um, who all exists within the Black community and make sure we're centering, you know, we're centering justice for everyone as, as we go through this, this movement.
0: Yeah. And raising the level of awareness to make sure that it is a completely inclusive affair, but then also raising awareness about exactly how many institutions there are that are interconnected. When Janae goes to the whiteboard and she's talking about how the healthcare system and child protective services and all of these institutions that interact with one another, when a Black woman calls the police, that image is so startling and so important, I think, for your audience members to get to, to really see the interconnective tissue between all of the different facets of public life that are impacted by this deep-seated corruption within the police mm-hmm. department. mm mm-hmm. And when you talk about all of these institutions as a whole, I, I just wonder are you interested in going into the other institutions as well at some point in the future?
1: You know, I have other, uh, <laughs> other pursuits and goals that I have for my career, but I think with this film and the way that we're even talking about our rollout on the impact and outreach side that, you know, this film is really just supposed to be a conversation starter
0: uh-huh. for
1: both that and all the other kind of smaller elements that you see throughout the piece. I really think some of, as you know, Chicago's institutional history, um, uh, it's deep in terms of how it has uh, marginalized and oppressed different communities. And I think a lot of it, you know, we we did try to fit in the film, but it just, you can't condense it all into a 90 minute yeah, film. Like yeah. they all need their own films, basically. Um, so I really invite others to investigate what they're most interested in um, as those elements pop out. Um, and I'm really hoping some of the community conversations and panels that we have coming up can help to bring more insight into that, into that conversation, because I think, um, you know, I don't think all of it's necessarily best suited for a film. I think some of it is definitely still in the hands of, of organizing and, and uh, grassroots efforts. But I think that we can definitely be the platform that kind of catapults us into those dialogues, um, because I think people within Chicago are a lot of times very familiar with it, but not as much outside of Chicago. And so we're really trying to make clear all this kind of structural players that impact black lives in the city.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But I feel like this film has so much relevance for everyone around the country. It is very yeah. specifically focused on the situation in Chicago, but the scope is pretty broad in terms of how it talks about everything that's going on with black lives on the whole across America. Mm -hmm. Have you also had any experience with how it's playing on a global scale? The film? Yeah.
1: So we have done a number of virtual festivals um, since we were, since we premiered last August. So I think my best indication has just been a a handful of the different Q and A's that we've been able to do in like Sweden and the UK I think we're, like, about to be in, like, a film festival in, like, South Korea, which is, like, nuts to me, but I think um, it's really showing how other Black global populations are struggling with these same questions, um, and, and we've seen that in some of the Q&As, just how they presented issues that have been happening in Europe, and we had a one with an organization in, like, Colombia that was also going through a a, a Black, like, an uprising movement in, in Colombia, and so I think it's just showing that um, there are Black struggles on a global scale. For every Chicago, there's another corrupt city institution, probably where you live, uh, that is, is needing to be um, given some attention and focus to, to unpack kind of the problematic policies that they have. Um, so I definitely think the interest is there and that there's like a global struggle um, within the African diaspora around, you know, these, these same issues that we present in the film.
0: Yeah. And actually, when I say global, I don't just mean internationally. I also mean like a- across America as a whole oh, as for well. Sure. I just wonder how many people are able to kind of transpose the stories to within their own personal contexts. Mm. Kind of what you've seen happening as a result of the film in other contexts.
1: Yeah, I think I will have a better answer for you when we re- <laughs> when we premiere <laughs> tomorrow, just because it's been difficult to gauge in the virtual space. Um, yeah. We've gotten a lot of really positive feedback. And, you know, I've had a lot of interactions with with like different moderators from different festivals and community groups. Um, so I've, I, I definitely um, have felt the impact the story has had on them through those conversations. Um, but I think. It's just been a difficult thing for us to gauge because so much of it has been um, virtual and, and and I'm hoping that we can get some of those you know personal impact stories as we as we have our physical screenings
0: and when you talk about in the film how the story of abolition and the abolition movement is all about talking about accountability I think that's such a really great way of describing what the real expectation is within any given community that's Mm -hmm. seeking for police reform or basically how do you explain to other people what this struggle is about if they're unwilling to watch your film? How do you convince them Mm -hmm. that it's important? I mean, honestly,
1: uh, my film isn't for those people. I just, I, I didn't make the film with the intention to, necessarily try to um, change the mind or reach across the aisle to folks that um, don't already have some sort of investment into this this movement. I think this film is really here to bear witness to the power of, of Black women within the movement for Black lives and to also offer a space for reflection and healing and growth for people that are still that are involved as community organizers or as advocates or activists for um, the movement for black lives. I'm, I'm just not really concerned about um, trying to, to flip the opinions or the concerns of others. If it's not enough for you to, you know, see these continuous acts of police violence as evidence of there needing to be some sort of change, then I'm not really interested in having a conversation.
0: Well, and I think as a filmmaker, that's an attitude you kind of have to adopt if you yeah. want to tell the story the way you want to tell it. And especially given the climate of today where it's so hard to change minds without completely altering your own self and compromising your own vision to such a great extent. Definitely. And, and I wonder in the process of making this film, how often did you feel your own safety compromised by people who held opposite opinions or encounters Mm -hmm. with other police, et cetera, throughout the making of the film?
1: Um, It really wasn't as prevalent as it may have seemed. Um, I really embedded myself much more on the side of the community and with Janae and Bella um, and whatever kind of direct efforts they were investing their time into. Um, The most may have been at like the different protests and rallies where we were having like those direct confrontations um but it really goes back to to what you were just saying that you know at some point i had to make had the realization that you know i can't make a film that's palatable for all audiences because that's not going to make for an interesting piece you know you should always go into something thinking about the people that would would benefit and um take the most away from it so i think um I often just like leaned into my own bias because I knew that I was an advocate and activist for the movement. And I, um, you know, there were definitely times I felt pressured to get the quote unquote objective take or, or talk to some of these institutional players um, and include their voices. But I felt like um, that's not what really needed to be elevated. Like I knew that we still need to give the facts of what was happening and, and kind of follow what those different paths were for the different, um, police killings, but outside of that, I really um, was embedded in the in the black community, in the black organizing community, and and whatever kind of efforts they were putting their time into.
0: Well, it's a stunning work, and you've put such heart and investment into really shaping a phenomenal narrative that is more than just a conversation starter. And I wish you every bit of luck I can with this film as it kicks off tomorrow. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me.
1: Of course. Thank you for watching the film and um, yeah.
0: (laughs) See y'all at the
1: movies.
0: (laughs) All right. See you at the movies. (laughs) Thanks, Ariel. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of land stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land. And I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at omnibus ride. You can also visit our website omnibusride.com where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch.